Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Spin the Rally Pod with myself, Colin Clark. Well, next up on the WRC calendar is the Arctic Rally Finland. It's a new one for all of us, isn't it? And, you know, whenever we get a new event on the calendar, we like to do here at Dirtfish our research. We like to find out as much as we possibly can about the events that we're going to. So with that in mind, we are going to bring you this very special edition of Spin the Rally Pod. What we're going to do is talk to people who know what to expect. People who have been there and done it before. We catch up in this one with George Donaldson. George Donaldson, obviously, uh, a name that's familiar to all of you, a regular on Spin the Rally Pod, but you might not know that George actually competed on Rally Sweden on a number of times and uh, he enjoyed various degrees of success. We also catch up with Tony Jardine. Tony Jardine is, well, he's almost motorsport royalty in the UK. Spent an awful lot of time in Formula One. He's done Rally GB a record number of times, 28 times he's done Rally GB. But on top of that, one of his favourite events is the Arctic Rally. And I think he's done that one five or six times. So Tony Jardine lets us know a little bit about what Ayrton Senna, the great Ayrton Senna thought of rallying, a man that Tony worked with for a number of years. But first up, there's a good friend of mine, a good friend of Spin the Rally Pod. It's Christian Solberg from Finland, a one-time WRC regular. Well, whenever you're heading to a brand new rally, you know, the best thing to do is to speak to the experts. Speak to someone that's been there before, that's done it before, that's gone well, that's not gone so well, that knows what to expect. And there is probably no better man to talk to than former WRC regular Christian Solberg. Christian, you know how much I always love talking to you, but particularly ahead of this one. It's lovely to have you on our podcast. Love to be on your podcast, Colin, and nice to hear your voice again. And, and you know, I'm going to start with an apology because you thought this was a video recording and you've spent half an hour making yourself look beautiful. And I'm very sorry. Not only half an hour, the whole morning. I've been, I've <laughs> shaved my teeth. I did my my beard, my hair. I cut my hair even shorter. So yeah, I'm a bit disappointed. But oh well, I'll make it up to you when we get up to Robin Yamey, mate. Don't you worry. Listen, Christian. You know it's an exciting time, isn't it? You know when we talk about the Arctic Rally, it's one of those events that a lot of people have on their bucket list. You know, there's something really special about it. And okay, this isn't the Arctic Rally, but it's the first time the WRC has been this far north. It's great news for rallying to have these kind of challenges. Yeah, it's great news for rallying and it's great news for Finland, obviously, to have 
the, the first WOC winter rally in Finland. We missed Rally Finland uh, last August, so now we get a double rally this year and for whole Lapland and for Finland overall, it's it's mega thing to have the rally championship here. So tell me a little bit, Christian, about your experience of the Arctic Rally. You know, how many times have you done that event? I've done the event eight times, I think. Uh, oh. I won it once. Uh, juniors, I won once. Uh, I, I won the overall day two, uh, 2010, and I've been second a few times. So, yeah, it's been, it's been quite a good rally for me uh, over the years. What do you think makes it so special? What what makes it so exciting and such, you know, such an attractive rally for for fans and for drivers, I suppose. Well, originally the the rally has been a bit earlier in January, and obviously the daylight is very limited at that time, and there is quite a lot of snow already then. So to run all the stages basically in in dark conditions uh, with extra lights and high snow banks and some snow dust. Uh, or whatever you call it, snow dust, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we call it yeah. we call it snow dust now. So it's just uh, a combination of 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 a challenge that uh, the the light, the missing light, uh, the possible snow dust, and uh, the snow bank. Just what it what it all comes to when you package it all in, into one is just a mega experience. It is, isn't it? It's a bit magical. Just talking about it there, kind of, you know, gets the goosebumps going, doesn't it? Just thinking about it. In terms of you know, the challenge for our drivers in the coming week in, in Finland, in Rovaniemi, Christian, you know, what, what is the biggest challenge you think they're going to face with this new event? Well, I think one of the biggest challenges will be to make new notes for, for every stage. Uh, as As all of the drivers have used to be, you used normally go to a rally, they have old notes or they know something of the rally. Some drivers have some experience, but let's say 80, 90% of the drivers never been to Rovaniemi, at least on the rally stages. So that's the first uh, challenge. Then the second challenge for me is going to be the conditions in in the fact that I've never seen the Arctic route as fast as it is now, just checking Mm. on the organizers' videos. Uh, There's massive amount of snow. Uh, The road seems to be really hard on ice, at least at the minute. So just to get the feeling of of the first run, how how the stages will be for the first run, and then uh, to have some kind of idea how they will be actually for the second pass is, is I think, the, the bigger challenge for all the drivers. Yeah, I think that's going to be a challenge for the drivers and for the teams and the strategists, because, you know, it's something that we haven't seen before. A lot of people might think that when we go to Rovaniemi, it will look, I was there last week, and it looks spectacular. There is so much snow. It's all very white. There are good snowbanks. And you might think, well, it's like Sweden in really good conditions. But it's not. It's not. You know, in Sweden, we get these really, really, in good conditions anyway, we get these really thick ice bases. And you don't have that in Rovaniemi. And that's the interesting thing for me. It's 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 compacted snow because I guess you've not had the thaw. You've not had the uh, the thawing and the refreezing and the thawing and refreezing process that you need to create an ice base. It's just cold all the time there. That is a different set of conditions to deal with, isn't it? That that your lack of an ice base, but thick compacted snow, it, it'll it'll you know, it'll be something new, I think, to a lot of our crews. Yeah, and one big reason for this is that these most of these stages are not used daily. So even if there would be thaw on and the weather would be changing before the snow is coming, 
if there is no you know cars running the stages if nothing will pack them so yeah there is there is a ice layer obviously like few maybe three or four centimeters i haven't checked i will i will do all that next week when i'm up there as well but uh, yeah the, the the gravel coming up the gravel digging up might be an issue for for the second pass and uh yeah well, some drivers have experience and yeah. toyota has is the only team that really has some experience uh from arctic in january when hanninen did it but they didn't do any stages double so even they yeah. don't have the ideal yeah. Info. yeah here's what i found interesting uh, about the test stages uh, there were very different stages i have to say the hyundai test roads were completely different from the Toyota test roads. Uh, and speaking to the guys in the Toyota team, it was actually quite difficult to find roads to use around Rovaniemi because they've had so much snow that, you know, when the snow comes in Rovaniemi, it comes down and you get metres of it. And, you know, if the roads haven't been cleared, there's no way you're using them. And, and there was a lack of cleared available roads. But what we found, or what I found, particularly with the Toyota test, was that it didn't take too many runs, maybe only two or three runs. And on the slower corners, the gravel was already there. It was mm -hmm. already there, two or three runs. And you were, and when I say gravel, it's not loose gravel. It's, it's permafrost. It's, it's absolutely hard gravel. But that layer of compacted, maybe slightly icy snow, it disappears rapidly from the slower corners. And dealing with that, I think, is going to be a challenge. Yeah, dealing with that, and then we have to also we have to remember that all the teams are now using Pirelli uh, mm. after a long, many many years running with Michelin. They are back with Pirelli, and nobody really have any idea. Obviously, Pirelli has been doing rallies. It's not a question of that, but all the setup might be different because the construction with Pirelli compared to Michelin in the tire itself is quite different. So setup wise, there might be some work and. Okay, Toyota has been doing loads of testing. Hyundai did now four or five days. And from the works teams, uh, the only team that is going to do limited testing is uh, is M-Sport, obviously. Mm. Uh, we know all the reasons why, so they, they might be struggling a bit, but I hope they, they can do a good test when they, when they have it now and they are ready also for the rally. Yeah, let's hope they can. And we'll come on to that in a second because I know that you're still involved with Gus Greensmith. And we'll come on to that in a second, Christian. But I read a really interesting article recently about the effects on rally cars of extreme cold temperatures. And it was to do with aerodynamics, to do with drag, to do with engine power. Is that something that you notice as a driver when you, you come from, you know, perhaps the south of Finland where it's not so cold, you've been rallying all summer, your next event is the Arctic. Do, do you notice the way that the car performs, the different way the car performs in those low, low temperatures? Uh, yeah, there might be a, a very small, small performance gain. Uh, obviously, in paper, it looks looks like a massive gain. But in, in terms of reality, I think the, the gain is not, not that big, even though you go to Lapland. But how you feel it really when you go from south to, to Lapland is the air. It's yeah. it's a lot drier. Uh, it's a lot more pure. So in a way, I, I think that will have an effect. And it, it'll be really interesting to see how the teams have managed to cope with that. The engineers are surely working flat out to try and find all the extra performance they can out of the engines. Here's, here's, what, here's what really interested me about this article I read. It talked about engine performance and a little bit of extra engine performance. But it talked about the aerodynamic effect of cold temperatures. And basically, when you get down to minus 20, and, and you know, it was minus 30 
when we were there last week. When you get down to around about minus 20, there is a real gain in terms of the downforce that the cars get. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's trusting that extra downforce. It's trusting that that car will grip those roads. The levels of grip that you get from the wheels, the mechanical grip, and then the downforce uh, from those cold temperatures. Apparently, it can be really quite a benefit to the drivers, but you have to be confident enough to trust that extra downforce. Yeah, you have to be confident enough to trust the extra downforce, but then again, you also have to have all the downforce parts in the car with you to yes, have yes. the confidence. Yes. And, and yes. I, I, you could see in the test, uh, I was watching Hyundai in Otepa now doing the rally and the pre-test or the shakedown, and they were doing runs with limited aero parts in the car because ah. surely, uh, surely you're going to see rear diffusers, not diffusers, but these... Uh, side aero yeah. parts missing from the rear you know you're going to see front bumper splitters maybe missing because touching snow banks which is going to be absolutely normal and and watching again the route and i spoke actually with tony he was my guest yesterday in in a in a stream we did and we spoke about the route and uh yeah i think we are going to see some interesting stuff happening already on the first stage which for me was a small surprise to have uh in a way, the most difficult and demanding stage is stage number one. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a real, uh, real eye opener. Whoever is is going to be there fast uh, really deserves to be the fastest because it's 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 going to be something special. I think there could be chaos in that opening stage. I really do. I really do. Uh, and I, I think it's a combination of things. It'll be a combination of the levels of grip, the unpredictable levels of grip, because you know maybe not unpredictable, but the unexpected, shall we say levels of grip. I think it'll be a combination of the tyres and how the tyres perform uh, and, and just how brave the drivers are. The other thing that I noticed in the test um, is that nearly all of our drivers had offs, had offs quite mm. early on in the test. And that, that's what tests, tests are for, I guess. They're for finding the limits. Uh, the good thing about you know these kind of roads is you have an off, you end up in the snowbank and it just costs you time. It doesn't actually cost you uh, an awful lot of damage to the car. And, and that was the common factor. And the two or three offs that I saw. But what was interesting was that, you know, they, they, they were trying, the drivers that I spoke to about the offs, were trying to find really where, where the limit was on these roads in terms of the grip they were getting through the tyres. Um, and it wasn't easy to find. It wasn't easy to find, even although some of them had done a couple of hundred kilometres the week before around Uvascula. Mm. The conditions were so different in, in Rovaniemi that actually... The tyres, the car, they were performing differently. And that, to me, was really interesting. So when we get into that opening first stage, um, you know, you won't want to miss a single second of it, will you? It'll be, it'll be fascinating. Mm. Yeah, it will be fascinating. And the first stage is run in this so-called army area, which uh, the surface underneath the ice is packed because there are heavy, heavy uh, army vehicles going there. And they have actually now had just to practice there. So in a way, that... Uh, first stage might be a bit different with grip uh, grip wise than the other stages just due to the fact that there have been some heavy heavy vehicles on the stage wow. so yeah it'll be it'll be I'm really I, I, I get even goosebumps now even I'm not doing the rally for just because <laughs> I just love that stage I just love Sarrio Yarve is just an amazing stage it's just as you say it's just trying to work it out they've got they've got a little bit of reference from uh, tests that they've done around Rovaniemi, Toyota from the tests they've done around Uvascula, again, Toyota with the information they'll have from Juho Hananen. But will they have anything 
that's relevant to that opening stage, I'm really not sure they will. Yeah, now, okay, Toyota did their test, Hyundai have done their test, and looking at the weather forecast, like you also tweeted, uh, there could be some fresh snow coming in. Yeah. And that'll, that will again change the whole thing. And uh, traditionally, Rovaniemi or Arctic Rally has been known of uh, if there is snow coming after recce, you know you have to clear the stages. So there have been, uh, in past years, there have been some occasions when there, have, there has been a chicane, let's say a chicane on the stage. And uh, the guy who has opened the stage has made it a bit different <laughs> for some <laughs> reason. So there have seen some, been some surprises just of the pure fact that nobody can ma- make it uh, 100% same when you're just opening the road at, at night. It's going to be fascinating. It really is. Well, who do you think will have the best road position, Christian, with your knowledge of the event and your experience of rallying at the very highest level? Um, you know, I, I can't find two people who will give me the same opinion on this. Uh, road position. What do you think? Who will have the best road position, the best starting position for that opening day? Uh, if there is uh, a lot of minus degrees, let's say 20, around 20 or above, then we'll have surely have snow dust and then the first car will have a big advantage wow. even if even if they run i think they're going to run plan to run three minutes uh then it might be okay but if they run two minutes snow dust will be uh will come into the game that's, seriously that's, uh, so just just explain this to us christian because you know we all know about dust on gravel rallies uh the snow dust that comes up, does it hang? Does it linger? Is it in particular areas between the trees, maybe? Where yeah. might we see that? Yeah. It it just hangs around like like dust hangs around wow. in between the trees and even in open, not so much in open areas. There you might have like 50 meters of snow dust, then nothing, and then again in 50 meters of snow, you know, again snow dust. So yeah. it'll it'll change and it will vary and it will just make like a wall and you just won't, won't see anything through it and then it comes to the fact of how much you trust your notes so that's that's one thing so the first car would have an advantage then if uh if the ice breaks and you have some gravel coming up it will all obviously also give you maybe some uh better grip better traction in places so you might gain a bit on that but then again you might lose on the performance of the tires so maybe i'll say Car number, car number four. Car four. So you think yeah. it'll be for one to three, not so good car four, and then deteriorating after car four in terms uh, of the performance? It will be okay up until car 10, and then there will be a big, bigger drop again, in my yeah. opinion. And then we have to wait and see what the second pass is like. It, it, you know, I, I've not been as excited for a rally Uh, for a very long time, Christian, because there are so many unknowns. There are so many possibilities on this one. Yeah, and how many years have I tried to get you to come to Arctic Rally? And now, (laughs) finally, you are are coming. So Yeah, 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 and then I'll be there twice in three weeks, which will be something. (laughs) I have to say, it it was a magical trip. Uh, You know, okay, it was very, very cold, but being out there in those beautiful forests, uh, you're watching rally cars doing incredible things. It, 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 there's just something very special. And, you know, as you say, there's there's the, the limited daylight, but you have these amazing uh, dawns and then twilights, dusks in the evening that seem to go on for hours and you just get beautiful colours in the sky. I absolutely loved it. I have to say, I, absolutely, I even quite enjoyed the food up there. I'd be warned about the food. I quite enjoyed it, Christian. There was nothing wrong with this golf. 
No, the lap, <laughs> Lapish food is really good. I, really I actually, good, really I, good. I, I, I really, really like it actually. Yeah, yeah it's it's a, it's a bit like Scottish food is. It's hearty, warming, fattening food that gets you through the winter months. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, loved it. We loved it. Now, listen, we we talked about earlier on uh, the mm-hmm. fact that you're still doing some really good work with Gus Greensmith, obviously. Now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we know that M Sport won't be. Uh, unfortunately, having the same amount of testing beforehand the other teams have had. So, you know, your advice to Gus is going to be critical uh, as to how he gets on. He really does need a confidence-building event here, and that's not going to be easy. What What would your advice be if you had a couple of things to say to him and you could only say a couple of things to him before the event? What would they be? Well, I think, uh, like we all saw, so Monty was really difficult for Gus, and we have talked about that a lot after the rally and I think we learned a lot so I think the only the only instruction I could give Gus is to go out there and have fun uh, you know he's in a really fortunate position he's official driver for M Sport he's he's living his dream he has a chance to drive an amazing car so no matter what the result for me it doesn't matter what the result is as long as I see him smiling at the end of the stage it will generate them positive energy coming out out of him uh, to you guys and to his own performance and that's the way for me to build the confidence back so yeah be positive no matter what happens so we're talking about winter rallies and what it takes to compete on a winter rally which we are on this podcast we don't really have to go far because our very own george donaldson is a man with Tremendous experience, George. Is that fair to say of winter rallying? You've done a few in your time, haven't you, mate? Well, compared to a Finn, I suppose I'm a basic raw beginner or a, or a Swede or a Norwegian for that matter. But I love driving on snow. I have competed on the Swedish rally six times. Six com- Six that times. That surprises me. Yes, um, I have competed on one small Finnish rally as a zero car, which terrified me, in one of Tommy Mackinnon's Group N cars. Yeah. Which, which was a one with extra power. It wasn't a Group N car. It was a Group N plus. <laughs> um, I was put zero car running two minutes in front of the the first car, and you know it was all the fins were there. I was terrified that I would be caught. And there were long stages. They were you know they were the proper classic uh, Finland rally stages, but run in winter. Oh. I can tell you they're fantastic fun. What is it? What is it, George? About about driving on snow and ice that for a driver is is so exhilarating. I suppose. Well, it's the consistency and and um, uh, of of the of the grip ratio and the way that that it affects the car and the type of tires you run on with the studs. And in in the old days, they used to be on a very narrow cross ply tire, I believe they were. And literally, the contact patch. And I say the old days. This is up until about uh, was it the late nineties, even early noughties. We were still run running on these fifteen inch wheels with these tires that were maybe the contact patch width was maybe 50 to 60 millimeters. Wow. Something like that. And these, these fantastic, was it uh, six millimeters or eight millimeter studs that would be sticking out the tire? There were maybe six millimeter studs that stuck out the tires, uh, but the tire would fall off the rim. So there was a lot of flexibility in the sidewalls. So the car kind of fell sideways and it went down and then it gripped and then you powered through. So the car was in a constant slide, even when it, even when the tire wasn't sliding. It was amazing. It was an yeah. amazing experience. So it was that consistency of grip that you don't get on, except on the most exceptional gravel road. 
so it's consistent to drive. You've got the snow banks that you can lean on, uh, and uh, lesser known is the fact that you can use the inside of the snowbank also to keep the car in into the corner as well. So you can nose the nose in to keep the nose in, the back sitting on the outside bank, the nose is on the inside of the bank, and it's all being held by the snow. And, <laughs> you know, the accomplished drivers like Juha Kanken and Marco Alent, Stig Blomqvist, my God. Okay, I'm going back a long way. It's no different from the newer guys as well. I'm just going back to the area when I was competing, uh, the way they could lean on a car. Uh, I was fortunate enough, and I'm going to say this in couch terms, I was fortunate enough to retire on a couple of occasions from Swedish Rally. So we went spectating, of course. And then, and then of course, I went many times uh, as a team manager, as a, a team player with, with rally teams, and I, I got out to watch our drivers on a few stages. Amazingly consistent, mm. unbelievably fast, faster than gravel. The grip levels are higher. Um, although when you're driving, it feels more slidey, but the traction you get with the studded tyres. An exceptional experience, a few extra dynamics. Most drivers rise to the challenge. You remember Diddy Oriol going there for the first time. He was right up there running top three until he made a mistake really quick. Um, uh, I'm sure Colin McRae, Richard Burns were, were similar. Uh, Carlos, did he Carlos even win it once? I'm not sure he did win Swedish, but... Um, all those guys up there, you know, really getting into it. It's, it's a real measure of a top driver when you can go to Sweden and go fast. It was for many years the highest average speed rally in the book. My, yeah. my average speed the first year I went with my little mini was, was almost as fast as the car could go. I mean, it wasn't quite, but, you know, it, I, I can't, I've, I still have the results lying somewhere. I mean, that, that, it's only a bit of a typed and, and it, would, it wouldn't even been photocopying in those days. Of course it was. It was photocopying, Xeroxing, I think it used to be called back in the day. Uh, but, um, you know, our average speed was phenomenal. And the Swedish Rally always had some funny rules as well, timing-wise, back in the, the 80s when I George, was. George, I have to say, I have to say that your exploits in Sweden are, you know, you talked about the legends, Kankin and Alain and the yeah. others. Uh, you know, in your own right, Georgie Boy, you are a bit of a legend in Sweden. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the Swedish aficionados of, of Rally Sweden appreciate you for your, what would we call it? It was determination. It was bloody-mindedness. Yeah, they, they, they liked the, they, it, it was they sure liked the determination. The it first was the year we turning went, up in the mini, yeah. wasn't it? You know, it and they was. remember you for, for your was. efforts in those days. It was. Well, we, we entered that rally. It was back in October in 1982, it must have been. And we went there for the first time in 1983. And we finished, I think we finished 67th, I think it was, <laughs> something like that. Was it 67th? There were 71 finishers. We were by far and away the least powerful car. And I say that, that's, that's not boasting, that's just a fact. Yeah. Uh, there was all Volkswagen Golf GTIs behind us, and I was in this little uh, 1275 Mini. It did have a Weber carburetor. It was a Group 2 Mini, but it wasn't really that good a Group 2 Mini. It was very basic. But it was a nice car. We had to stud the tyres ourselves. The tyres weren't a great success story because you couldn't get 10-inch tyres, of course, in, in, in Sweden studded, so we had to stud our own. That was a story in itself, um, worthy of a meal, a conversation at dinner, I would suggest. Uh, but we, we, did, we, we drove it like we stole it all the way. I mean, basically, that was the way I drove. Um, uh, just uh, flat out. Some, I'm looking at a photograph here in my office of me coming into a 90 degree left at the bottom of the hill and the back of the car is in a snowdrift that's only about 
a foot high and it's a dam on the right and a big drop on the left. It's it's quite a small, it's just one of those little barrages you get. And it looks it looks very spectacular. And there's a few people watching it. And of course they're, they're Swedes, so they're just standing there watching it. But I remember getting a glance down that drop. <laughs> uh, and and it, it was it was significant. You know, it would have been rally ending at least, even if you know if it's five meters down, you're gone, aren't you? This was quite near the end of the rally. We didn't have very many studs on, but the, the road came over a little crest and went left over a crest downhill 100 metres, approximately. Quite a long way. You wouldn't have been braking over it. We, I mean, bear in mind the top speed of that car on the studded tyres was only about 75, maybe 80 miles an hour at a push. That's all it would actually do. We were probably flat out, and I'm thinking, I'm not braking yet. Well, I started to brake just over this crest. That car was not for stopping. There was no way it was going to stop. And I'm looking at what looks like a certain off, which was like about every second corner looked like that. But this one I can remember so vividly. And I've got this photograph that fortuitously was sent to me. I wouldn't have had any money to buy it at the time. But we just I just chucked the car sideways and put the nose in. We were right out on the edge of that corner, but we got round it. We just hit the snowbank and it was it was a perfect corner. I suspect that we didn't come off the snowbank very fast. It looks like a great photograph, but we probably didn't come off the snowbank very fast. Um, but but uh, it was just typical of that exploit. And at the finish Georgie. of that rally, yeah. at the finish of the rally, Colin, there was more people at the finish ramp for us going through, or as many <laughs> as there was for Hannah Mikola that won the event. That's what our friends told us, our Swedish friends, that we made many of them. Yeah. But there was more people for us than there was. I for can the, imagine that. I mean, you know, rally fans, rally fans around the world, the same now. You know, the appreciation of a trial. It's not, you know, yeah. everyone appreciates the the power and the complexity and the skills of the top drivers. But you know, if you're standing out in the forest and you're watching the field and you're watching someone in a twelve seventy five mini giving it the max, which which I have yeah. no doubt you are, George. On as you say, every single corner in a little car with very little protection. Very yeah. few studs. <laughs> we have to see that picture, by the way. I think we'll put okay. that on our socials. Take a picture of the picture and we'll put that up on our socials, George. But listen, you, you, there's a big story behind that because you didn't just, you know, fly into Sweden, do the rally and fly home, did you? you, you no, know, you no, no. We, 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 we drove. <laughs> so we left Edinburgh with the Mini completely filled with with uh, uh, bread pallets full of parts uh, we didn't have a we didn't have a second car. I mean, my rally car was my car. I think I used to run around on a little Honda C90 around Edinburgh to the various jobs I had to pay for my rallying. Um, that uh, we, we we I stole my mum's car. We had a Vauxhall Chevette, uh, so and that was filled to the gunnels as well. So two of my friends in that, Kenny and uh, and Robin, my co-driver Brian Woodward, fabulous guy, um, and myself. We drove down to um, Harwich. We got on the DFDS ferry, which was this gorgeous ferry, biggest ferries in the North Sea at the time. It was a massive storm. The British junior team had been formed about three weeks before the rally and got late entries. So they came along and, and they were on the same boat as we were on. So we had quite good fun with them. They were all on it as well. Many of them driving their cars as well, not all with trailers. Trailers were on at that you, time. You... Your Mini wasn't on a trailer. You are actually driving no, no, no. the we Mini just, in the box. We, we drove it there and back. Sometimes we towed it back. <laughs> you know, some, 
It's a long way to tow a car, but we well, did it. Listen, but what would you have done if you put it off, which you did, I think, on a number of occasions? But if, how would you have got it home if you damaged it? Well, you just, you just get the wheels back on it. We had enough bits to get wheels back on it and just tow it. We towed, <laughs> uh, what was the year? We blew up the we blew the, the third third year I went. Third year I went, I borrowed one of my friend's um, Talbot Sunbeams. It just, uh, you know, that's a 1600 Sunbeam rally car that he built. Uh, that's Bruce McKenzie's car. He um, he sold that car. That was Colin's first rally car. Wow! So you see, and Colin's got it in his museum. Well, I drove that car. There's photographs of me driving that car in Sweden before it was Colin's. Wow! Uh, <clears throat> I borrowed an engine. Bruce didn't have a very good engine, so we borrowed an engine from another friend that was a much better engine, but it hadn't actually been properly. It, it skimped on bits. Sadly, he hadn't put all the right parts on it to to support the power that he was getting out of it. I paid the penalty for that. I had to buy the damned engine, Ooh. but um, uh, the um, uh, and I, I bought a diff. I bought a diff from uh, I can't remember John Brody, a guy called John Brody, and Barry Lockhead rebuilt it for me just a few weeks before. Well, I think a few days before we left, Barry put new bearings in it, a new crown wheel and pinion in it for us. Uh, Barry Lockhead was the guy that prepared all Collins rally cars in his early years. And worked right. for many years after at uh, Mitsubishi Rally. Lovely guy, Barry. Um, so basically, uh, that was the car. Uh, we blew up the engine on stage 17 or 18. We were lying 16th, 15th or 16th at the time. Mm -hmm. um, highest Brit on the rally at that at that year, particularly. It was. I mean, it was. We were second in class, second in the 1600 class. Um, behind a yeah, second in the 1600 class behind a guy in a two litre starlet. <laughs> <laughs> That's apparently a true story. That's a true story. And I worked is this the strange rules in Sweden that you're talking about? Well, that strange, wasn't strange, strange rules. That was just that was that was gamesmanship. He got away with it, so why not? Yeah. Um, ours was a 1600, ours was, ours was relatively legal, probably illegal in that it probably wasn't the highest proper spec, it would be less. But uh, we blew that up anyway on stage 16. I got hypothermia waiting with the car, proper <laughs> hypothermia. Slept for two days, didn't know anything about it. Missed the rest of the rally, which is a shame because it was a good year to spectate. In 1985, that was. And uh, uh, we towed that all the way home. So we towed it from right? Karlstad down to Gothenburg, put it on the boat. There was one of the guys that we went back on the boat took pity with it, on us. And he put it on his trailer and he went up as far as... It wasn't very far up. It was like to, um, he was going to Nottingham or somewhere. Okay. And then we put it back on the tow rope and we towed it the rest of the way. I tell you, th those are the yeah. stories, George. Th this yeah. is what rallying in some ways lacks these days, isn't it? And, and you know, and there are many reasons for it. Cost well, we had no money. We had, we had absolutely exactly. no money. I mean, goodness gracious. We'd, I mean, I didn't even have a credit card at that time. You wouldn't have dared have one. It would have been a disaster. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even a, it wasn't even a consideration. You That's had the money you had in your tail, and that was your lot. But we used to get good conditions from the, the rally. Used to give us some petrol money. They would give us. We'd get a really good discount on the ferries. I remember that first year we went on the ferries. We were we were in the outside cabins, so it was the second best cabins on the boat, and and it was brilliant. There was four of us in the cabin, right enough, but we were just having a great time. And it was thirty six hour crossing, and the food was all there. It's got. I think we paid for the food. It was expensive, but. Yeah. Still, it was really nice, you know. We just it's an food. adventure. It's an adventure, and, and, and oh, it's really, an absolute adventure. Yeah, that's what rallying really. You know, that, that's how it how it became popular because it was an adventure for everyone. It was an adventure for the the people taking part. It was an adventure for the spectators, for the sponsors, yeah. 
for everyone. And and you know what? I think I think we we, yeah. we kind of miss that these days, don't we? A yeah. little bit, a Perhaps. little bit. But, but I think I think George, I think this trip to Rovaniemi, I think that's as close to an adventure as we're going to get for for mm. some time. It's going to be yeah. a heck of an experience, I've, isn't it? I've I've been up in Rovaniemi just before the rally, um, not not actually during that rally. It's too damn cold, Colin. That's if they fair. get a cold one and it's right. minus twenty five, minus thirty, you know, it's not nice. Everyone thinks how picturesque it looks, and you go out in the morning, lovely sunshine, still air, and the air is sparkling. That's the last small vestiges of moisture being frozen out of the air. That air will dehydrate you quicker than a desert would. Yeah, you know, no, I, I was there, George. I was there, I was there last yeah. week, and it was minus yeah. twenty-eight, and it was. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know what? You know, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too well, bad. If you, you have standing, the right were you standing on? Were you standing on the ice with normal boots on? No, no, no. For, no, for three minutes and your feet are cold and you think you've got great boots on. I'll tell you, Georgie, I actually invested. I invested for this trip. I did something I've never done in my life and I was actually unheard quite... Of. Unheard of. I was quite sensible and I invested yeah. in a very decent pair of snow boots. But yeah, listen, I, I dug a few snow holes because the wind started blowing and my goodness, yeah. when you wait for a rally car to come, if oh, the wind yeah. starts blowing, you're in trouble. So I, I dug myself. Test. Yeah, that can last it was forever. a snow hole. It wasn't really a snow hole. It was a snow ditch I dug. But it kept mm -hmm. me out of the, the, the wind. And, you know, it was it was quite pleasant. But I have to say, you know, during the test, and I went to, I think, five tests, five different drivers. A number of them mm -hmm. put their cars into snow banks. Yeah. And, uh, and one of them said to me as I, as I scurried towards him, Digging, and he was very, very pleasant and very, and not too annoyed to see me, which I was quite <laughs> pleased about. Oh, very pleasant. And he said, he said, I said, you know, I said, you'll, you'll keep warm with, with digging your car out there. And he said, the only problem is your feet and these poor drivers with yeah. their, 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 their little, you know, lightweight driving boots. And I know yeah. some of them have um, heated driving boots, don't they? Yeah. During, during well, they, 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 yeah, they've got the heated elements in the feet and a wee battery pack on your ankle, but they'll yeah. presumably take that off when they're driving. Yeah. But well, much better off would be to be a sort of snow boot pullover on it, really tight thing with a very, very thick insulated sole for that eventuality. But what I got would you into, carry in, I got into carry in the car, George? What would you carry? Because they say well, that they advise people to take yeah. survival kits. What would you yeah. your day? They, they made us they made us um, they made sure that we had jackets in the car, that was it. And they recommended having extra clothes. So we did actually have, I think I had probably, you know, ski trousers with me in the back. And some some sort of fairly cheap rally jacket, you know, it would be it, it would have been nothing, nothing at all. I mean, it would have just been a someone from UK from a from from Marks and Spencers at the time, you know, it yeah. wouldn't have been anything fantastic. Uh, and I'd have had some sort of glove that would have been fairly average glove. And I'd have had, and I guess I had a hat. I can't even think that I ever managed to wear a hat. But I would have been. I think we we drove with uh, cord, cords on as opposed to jeans. We learned that after the first year, we all went with jeans. And, and I remember Ari meeting us on that first year we went and said, guys, you need to wear uh, cords. And every looked around, everybody else was wearing a corded trouser. or Because, you know, it was before the days of all the fabulous, you know, Heli Hansen trousers. And well, they probably had them in, in, uh, in, in Finland and Sweden right enough. Um, the second year we went, we went and bought proper clothing mm -hmm. uh, or better clothing. But it, it still wasn't that good. I, I waited in my rally car that year in 1985 for six hours for rescue, oh. and it was minus 41. And is this so when you got hyperthermia? Fun. 
I got hypothermia. Yeah, poor me. Poor thing. You poor Which thing. Which is then. an interesting experience because you just all of a sudden feel like you've just stepped into a warm shower. You think, oh, that's okay. The body's kicked in its defense mechanism. And I felt really good. But the, we just met the Swedes who'd come with a trailer to rescue us from the stage down to the, the house where we lived. And he recognized it straight away. Wow. Put me into the car and started to try and heat me up. And when I got back to the house, I can remember somebody being there um, and a doctor. And I can't remember much after that. And I woke up two days later. George, I tell you what, you know, you're a brave boy. You really, you know, <laughs> bravery, stupidity. I'm not sure. And you're not stupid. I absolutely know you well enough to say you're not stupid. So I'm going to put it all down yeah, to absolute I was bravery. Young, young, and, young and stupid, I think is, is fair to say. Just not, not realising. I mean, we had good advice and we had stuff in the car. It just wasn't enough, Colin. Yeah, there yeah. was actually that year because that was the year it went very cold, 1985. It, after we arrived, the temperature dropped dramatically. And it went, it went down, it was below minus 30 the whole time in Karlstad that That's year. That's difficult. That's really difficult. And up difficult. on the stages, minus 35, minus 40 Oof. all the time. Wow. It, was, it, was, it, was, it was easy enough in the car. It wasn't a problem in the car until it stopped. Do you know, <laughs> do you know that's the irony, it. George. That's the irony yeah. of Sweden this year. You know, we obviously went to Sweden last year and, and you know, it was, marginal. It was critical, marginal, wasn't it? It was, yeah, yeah. it was absolutely marginal whether it should have run and, and fair play to the organisers for giving us a rally last year. But obviously it was cancelled very early on this year and, uh, and they've got perfect conditions. Perfect mm. conditions. It's such well, a shame, almost, isn't it? That was almost inevitable. What they should do is you should organise organize a great Swedish rally every year about this time for next year, cancel it in June, and then hastily reinstate <laughs> it three it. weeks before the event when the weather's looking good. Yeah, no, it's going to be interesting. It really is going to be interesting because we are going to get a fabulous rally in Robin. I mean, there's no question, no question about it. Well, there's no doubt about that at all. I mean, I think the, the, the big thing with Sweden always has been is that the state of farmland has been a massive supporter of the rally. Exactly. The, 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 um, the sunspots have dictated that our climate's got a bit warmer at this time of year, you know, i.e. winter, and we've not had the winters we've had, and Sweden's suffered for it. Sweden should have moved further north, you know, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, something like that, but Karlstad's been such a fabulous host city, mm. the state of Varmland looks after you, you know, I, I've I've driven on that rally six times, the only time I've ever seen police out is shepherding traffic. They respect, you know, people, you know, will drive us, you know, respectfully on the snow. I've never seen any yeah, any incidents totally. in Sweden yeah. at all. You yeah. know, the, the, and yeah. the worst that happens. No, no the only, the, George, the only people, people get you stuck see, in snowbanks. Yes, it's Brits. The it's, only it's, time I've ever stopped to help people out, and it's happened two or three times in Sweden, is Brits, British yeah. rally. <laughs> Well, there you go. Who are perhaps well, uh, they're, get, yeah. they're getting carried, carried away. They're getting carried enthusiastic. That's all. It's just that's... enthusiasm. So yeah. So Sweden, what a what an experience. I mean, driving there, amazing. I never I, the the best car I drove there was was my. Oops, there's someone else trying to get me. I'll just uh, lose that temporarily. Um, and um, the best car I ever drove was my Sierra Cosworth, yeah. and we got up to a very a very good result in that. And two stages from the end, slipped off the road. Um, damnable, really, um, and and again we were top Brit at that point, um, and uh, it probably cost me a chance the following year to to keep to keep a drive actually because I was on the I was on the factory supported route at that point, but there was other factors in that too. Yeah, such, that. Such, such kind of but narrow similar. sort of you know yeah. narrow margins, but you know, these these, yeah. these 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 moments that you look back yeah. on. And think, I mean, look, there's if... lots of young there's lots of young drivers try and don't quite succeed. I was just one of them. That's okay. Yeah. 
George, listen, it's, I, could, I could sit and talk to you about your, your Swedish escapades mm. for hours, but, yeah. uh, but we do have other people to talk to on this podcast. Well, I mean, I've, I've already taken up the better part of, uh, I don't know, half an hour of your time. It's not quite too long 22 already. Minutes, 22 minutes and top, 25 seconds. Loving it. I'm loving it. Well, I could talk for a lot longer. Look, it's going to be great up in Rovaniemi. What's the, what are the risks of the extra cold? Some odd things on the cars failing. Um, yeah. A lot of the a lot of the aero. I wonder, you know, that that, that um, you know it'll pick up a lot of ice depending on on the you know if the temperature goes a little bit warmer yeah. and a bit more moisture comes back into the air, it can be icy. It can snow, of course. Again, I mean, it's it's the right time of year for snow, as we know. It can easily you know run into snowstorms. Whatever happens is that rally up in Rovaniemi, they're used to running it. It will continue. It won't yeah. be stopped for any snow or conditions. Absolutely. I don't know what it would take to stop it up there. Well, the Arctic Rally is one of those rallies that to nearly all of us is a voyage of discovery. But there's one Brit, one motorsport aficionado from the UK who has done this event probably more times than any other Brit. That man, Tony Jardine. And what a joy to have Tony with us today. Tony, thank you for joining us on Spin the Rally Pod. Oh, Colin, it's, it's a pleasure to be here, especially if you're talking Arctic. <laughs> <laughs> At 27 Rally GBs, by the way, I can't let that one slip. That has to be a record, right? That has to be a record. Uh, I think it's just above Mikola. Is it really? Is it really? Well, That's someone told me because the Wales Rally GB guys, um, they came to me 2019 and said, do you realise how many you've done? And I said, well, I thought it was 20 plus. He said, no, this will be a 27th. So, yeah. Goodness me. And there are still more to come. I'm absolutely sure about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> right. Forget the rally, forget the rally, but I'll be there. <laughs> well, well, yeah, well, you know, we, we could talk about that, but maybe we'll save that for another podcast because that, that we could talk for hours about. I think it's a very yeah. sod, sorry state of affairs that we've, mm. um, we've lost the rally. And I'm telling you now, it'll be mighty difficult to get it back again. Uh, but sure. there, there are some capable people who are... Uh, involved in all of that and we'll just put our faith in them and hopefully we'll see Tony Jardine on an entry list for Rally GB before too long. But let's get on to the Arctic Rally, Tony. As I said in the intro, I don't think there's a Brit who's done it more times than you. Um, it's exciting times ahead, isn't it? You know, okay, this isn't the Arctic Rally, but it's the World Rally Championship going to Rovaniemi, going to those stages that you've enjoyed so much and that you know so well. I think the attraction and the pull, it's magical, it's unique, it's Lapland, yes, but um, I think they deserve their shot at the World Rally Championship um, after so many years, I mean, 56 Arctic rallies, that's a lot. Mm. You know, and for the bulk of that period, they've had good snow, good ice, a real, real winter rally. I, I think it's it's ironic. Poor poor Sweden, you know, has had such terrible uh, mixed weather fortunes over the years, as we all know. You know, and, and, and I did it one year. It was absolutely awful. There was hardly any any snow. Studs being pulled out of your tires, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Ironic that they, you know, they've got such great snow across Scandinavia at the moment. But you're pretty much ninety percent guaranteed of a real 
harsh, proper, adventurous winter rally at the Arctic. And I want to mention one, one word, one name, if I can, Colin. There's a guy called Heike Poronen, who's like the grandfather of the event. And he's the guy that's pulled in a lot of the international competitors that are coming over the years. So for him, yeah. it will be an absolute triumph, him and the other Finnish organizers of this fantastic event. And um, he, they deserve all the success that they get. No, you're absolutely right. Do you know what? I met Heike Poronen last week. I met him for the first time. He was uh, managing the tests for Toyota. Uh, and he was very, very helpful to us. And, and yeah, you know, th these guys have been putting on year in, year, year out, world-class events. And to have this opportunity, and, and let's not forget, they, they've more or less pulled this together in, in a couple of months, haven't they? Um, yeah. You know, they've always known that they have the infrastructure, they have the personnel, they have the stages. Uh, you know, they have the experience to run this kind of event. But... You know, you know what it's like, Tony, in, in, in business. You know you can do something, but there's always that little bit of nervousness when you do it for the first time. I imagine that is the situation that Heike will be in right now. Yeah, I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure of it. Um, but then again, you know, once, once they settle and get over that initial nervousness, because I, I think, you know, it's, it's all the increased rules and regulations and making sure everything is absolutely right, even, even down to the police with their, their, their drones and so on, making sure, you know, they, they keep safe. They're going to be very, very nervous, but they are a well-oiled machine, as you say. And, and for quite a few years, I mean, 20, 25 years, you know, the, the rally was part of the Euro. It did count for the European Rally Championship as well. It's always been Finnish Rally Championship. So it's, it's at a very, very high level. Um, but the, the stages, as, as you've already alluded, um, each time I've been there, I've thought, oh, my God, they are just immense, you know, just incredible challenge. So for me, a clubman like me, reckoning and, and how they can really test the WRC boys is something else. But this is different again to, to Sweden and the farmland. You know, this, this is, is real uh, when you're out there in, in the real harsh land, you know, the real harsh winter territory um, in the Arctic tundra. And, it, you know, just takes no prisoners out there whatsoever. And that's the other thing that, that I always find fascinating. And I noticed in the regs this time, even the WRC, each, each crew have got to take a survival kit, mm. you know. And, and in there lies another story because you go so far into the Arctic tundra. Mm. You know, look at some stages. There's, there's 33 kilometers, 31 kilometers. You know, we would do stages of 42 kilometers all in the same region that they're going. And probably some of those stages um, will be going a different way to, to which we ran them in the Arctic Rally. But it doesn't matter because, as you know, the DNA of a stage, it's, it's all made up of the same sort of things. And they, you could recce for a week and they would advise you to tell them when they were going out on the recce. But we decided to go out one night back out to, to check this one stage because we were writing our own notes. We weren't very sure about it. So it's total whiteout. We couldn't see half of where it was. Wow. And we got stuck in a blizzard and within half an hour we were literally snowed in <laughs> and we were very, very lucky lucky honestly to, to get away with that you can imagine the rollicking that we had from mm. and the other guys for not telling them 
Mm. Uh, but, you know, when I, when I took Mike Calvin, who was doing stuff for, for the Mail on Sunday, we were out there with a British Steel team. You know, we got there and the rally very nearly didn't happen because it was minus 40. Oof. You know, minus 40, things start breaking. <laughs> You know, fan belts, not even aircraft were taking off. And normally the Finns, when it's minus minus, they know exactly what they're doing. Mm. We, we went through all this survival training and we were digging snow holes and goodness knows what. You had to take special knives as well. And I'm, I'm just talking this from, from an agricultural and, you know, animal perspective because, you know, the reindeer are their cattle. And as you know, there's a lot of them around the stage. The big danger is the elk you know, in, in the wilds off. So if you hit deer, if you hit a reindeer on, on the recce or the rally or whatever, you needed to put it out of its misery with, with the knife. And secondarily, of course, it was to preserve the meat. That was very important, you know, and that's a practicality of the region that you're in. And uh, I remember we dug all these snow holes and this, that and the other. And I was with Des Kelly, who was uh, the sports editor of The Mirror, and they were doing some great stuff. Took him out the Arctic Rally and so on. But the car failed on one of the big, long, yeah, it was a 42-kilometer stage. The diff locked solid on the top of a crest. And it was crest to crest. I mean, really, really fast stuff. And um, got the car over to one side as much as I could, but there were big snow banks. And this in the middle of the stage. And you have all your survival gear, including, you, you know, your big blankets, your tools, your fire making equipment, all that stuff you have to have. And we put the Belisha beacon on top of the roof and we kind of waded in waist deep into the forest with our shovels and started digging this snow hole. And because all the cars were coming through and then the group F, you know, you're going to be there for two hours, you know, and it's minus 30. Mm. So we got our goon suits on that the Arctic Lapland guys gave us and all the rest. And we together in this little snow hole, just trying to keep warm, hearing cars coming and hoping they're not going to hit our stricken car. Wow. Um, went upon them and, you know, we're all a bit sort of thirsty, a bit plumbing cold and everything. And I got zips in all these pockets of this goon suit. And suddenly, you know, I, I can find out, anyway, Des unzips one of them. And after about 10 minutes, he finds this little bottle of Jameson's, <laughs> Jameson's whiskey. Oh, my God. And it was a tiny little drop each every five minutes, like nectar. It was absolutely like nectar. And, and there was only one other um, team, not from the UK, but it was an Irish team in the event as well. And they were, they, they'd had some supplies from Jameson, and they, they'd given us this little bottle and literally saved our lives about <laughs> hours later you know we, we got rescued but they said don't leave your car you know and if you get really really cold obviously get well in and, and start a fire and I'll show you how to make the fire and do all these kind of things but um it, it, and that is a fact okay it won't be the same with the WLC because they'll have the satellite they'll know where everybody is all the time but if these guys don't heed the fact that WRC says you've got to take warm clothing you've got to take your survival gear you know, um, they could get very cold indeed if they break down. And it, and it can very quickly go wrong. You know, if you're stuck out there and you're getting cold and you're getting hypothermic, it can rapidly go the wrong way. And, uh, you know, I guess that's, that's the danger. You know, as you say, they're never going to be out there for the two or three hours you were out there. Well, who knows? I mean, they might be. You know, if, if stages are run <laughs> twice, we've seen it before. I've, I've seen crews in Argentina. I remember Tony Gardemeister was stuck in a stage in Argentina 
for something like 12 hours. It was about 11 o'clock at night he got back and the stage had run at nine in the morning. Um, so it does happen. It does happen. Drivers do get stuck for, for a long time in the stages. <laughs> it's a great oh, well, story, Tony, but I, I, have to, I have to just quickly go back to the knife yeah. and, and the knife and the putting the, the poor reindeers out of their misery. Was yeah. that actually an instruction from the organisers? Well, it was, it was for us on the, on the Arctic Rally, and you, we, we carried a, a big knife as well. I mean, luckily, I didn't have to do it, because as far as I'm concerned, you know, Rovignemi and Santa Claus land and reindeer and everything, it's all part of the wonderful thing. And um, one, one year, we, we were there, and we made, we made a film for Sky, a one-hour film for Sky. And, of course, they collaborated with all the, the, the nature and all the incredible things, you know, fishing you know, on the frozen lakes and going out on the snowmobiles on, on, you know, looking for snow fox and they found a snow fox, all these kind of things. So you think, I can't, I can't possibly kill a reindeer, but if you, if you hit one of them, you know, and it's injured or whatever, they ask you, you know, to put it out of its misery, number one, with knife, and two, because you preserve the meat. Because as Heike Porodan said to me, these are our cows, please understand. You know, they're not all pulling sleds for Santa. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a difficult thing. I had some lovely reindeer, Stuart, I have to say, when I was up there the other week. Very, very much enjoyed it. Here's a fact for you, Tony, that I found out when I was in Rovaniemi. Uh, you might yeah. not know this, although I suspect you will know it because you're one of the, the best informed pundits I've ever come across. Um, but Rovaniemi itself suffered dreadfully during the Second World War and the town was more or less razed to the ground. Uh, mm. So what that meant was that after the war, they were able to redesign. And there was a famous, famous Finnish town designer who redesigned Rovaniemi. And he redesigned the centre and then the arterial roads in the shape of a reindeer's head. <laughs> that no, is... I didn't know that. No, that I is should. absolutely the truth. And if you look at a map of, of Rovaniemi... And you take the centre, yeah. now where the two sports stadiums were originally, that yeah. was the reindeer's yeah. eyes, and you can see the shape of the head, and then you see these roads coming out of the centre, and you can see that the roads are the antlers. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, the, the, the reindeer is an integral part of Rovaniemi, and, and you're quite right, you know, us, us you know, less informed types will go there and go, oh my goodness, we can't be eating Rudolph and his friends, but, you know, it's, the reindeer is the lifeblood of the, the lavish people, isn't it, in some ways? Yeah, no, it's absolutely. But the, the enemy, if you like, much as he's beautiful, but, you know, he weighs tons and tons, is, is the elk. The elk. And on the recce one year, we were just going very, very slowly, just checking, checking our notes, big snow walls. And I just looked ahead and I just saw, oh God, is it snowing? And these trees were rattling and snow was coming down. And this elk was just barreling his way through between the trees and he just barreled his way through the snow wall and this great big black thing came across the road and went through the other side now if we'd been even going down there at 50 kilometers an hour or whatever and hit one of those goodness knows yeah. you know, yeah, would have done some damage but but you know it's it's part of the the adventure it's part of just being in this arctic wilderness you know there is nothing there's this eerie silence and you know it from all over covering so many all the snow rallies and going around the world as you do you you stand out in the middle of something like that 
and it's unbelievable. So, and because a lot of the stages were at night and because it's very short daylight hours, um, you know, in, in the past north of the Arctic Circle, in, in, inevitably, um, early morning stages, you've got the lights on, you know, past 3.30, 4, yeah, about 3.30, you've got the lights on through all those other stages. And I remember in this one Arctic Tundra one year, I'd got um, Kevin Piper, who you know, who's worked. Yeah, very well, yeah. Now, Pipes, you may remember, but he was head of sport at Anglian TV. He was one of our um, senior producers at ITVF1, uh, old mate of mine. And, and I said to him, look, come, come co-drive and we're going to do the Arctic Rally, one thing. And it, making a film for Anglia. But part of it was he wanted to get to Mika Hakkinen and do the story about when he ran in Lotus, you know, local team from Norfolk and so on and so on. And we've been on the wrecking research and I've been chasing Mika, leaving messages everywhere, trying to find him because we wanted to get this interview for the piece, for the television and so on. And it was towards the end of the wrecking. It was at night, it was at the top of this hill and you could just see the stars sparkling all across this incredible snow-clad world. And it, it looked quite harsh in one way and, and really, really sort of um, jagged but the beauty to it, anyway, there was one other car sitting on the top and they were looking at the maps and went over and it was a white Mitsubishi and in it was Mika. Tapped the window, we've been looking for you, rolls down the window, you know, <laughs> grinning. But Piper, of course, got his interview after about five days of the recce, so he was happy as hell. And who'd have thought it, in the middle of absolutely nowhere in the Arctic wilderness, oh, it's Mika Hakkinen, right, yeah. we'll have it. yeah. Well, do you know, I think if, if the timing had been slightly different, we could easily have had Valtteri Bottas on this event. Oh he is one of the only men in the world to have driven all of the current World Rally cars. Uh, he's got, as, as most Finns do, he seems to have this underlying passion for rallying. And he, he's done the Arctic, I think, a few times in the past. Yes, no, he absolutely has. And um, uh, I took Derek Warwick over one year and um, they arranged, the organised, arranged for him to go in a, a Group F, basically, you know, an historic uh, Mark II Escort. Um, and that was after, if, if you remember, Colin talked about the time that, you know, persuaded David Richards to, to put Derek Warwick in the Subaru team uh, when he was teammate to Marco Allen on the RAC Rally um, in 1990. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Derek had always, you know, enjoyed uh, his bits of rallying, but he was very keen to go over there. And, and he just absolutely had a, a, a ball, you know, in this Mark Escort on thing. And he did, he did what, what all the, the Finns did. But of course, Marco and him were great mates from the RAC Rally and Subaru days. And Marco came up to see him at the rally, which was great. They went to the sauna together. They had a, a few bevies together. Um, and then we had a big celebratory uh, party because we, we finished okay in our bit of the rally. He finished okay. We had this big party with our crews and so on. And I, I'll never forget it because I, I, in part of this party, I don't know what it was, but one of our crew um, got, got quite attached to um, one of the uh, ladies there and vice versa. So um, Derek did a, a mock um, wedding ceremony which everyone thought was very, very funny with these two in this, this bar, where it was very, very loud. Um, until the next day when we were all a bit worse for wear early in the morning at the airport and this lady turned up <laughs> 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 to England looking for her husband. Oh, dear.
<laughs> yeah. ah. <laughs> Happy memories yeah. made in the Arctic Circle. Tony, yeah. you know, uh, we could talk to you for hours. There's no question about that. But before I let you go, one, one mm. question, one final question for you. It's nothing to do with the Arctic. But you mentioned yeah. right at the start that you worked with Senna. Now, we, we know yeah. that Senna had the opportunity to drive a rally car. I think it was a Metro 6R4. What did he yeah, drive? He he drove, yeah, he drove. But did you ever... Did you ever talk to him about rallying? Did you ever yes, ever get yes. a chance to get his thoughts on rallying? Yeah, because um, that was Triple uh, C, Cars and Cars Conversion. Russell Bolgin was the editor at the time. Uh, and Russell had had a lot to do with Ayrton during, you know, his, his former years as he, as he worked his way up the ranks, um, Formula 3 and so on. And that's when I first met him because Dick Bennett's that runs WSR and the current BMW touring car team, uh, was my flatmate when I was at McLaren. So it was an all Kiwi house apart from me. Um, but I'm, I met Senna at one of the F3 races, sitting at me in the back of the truck and chatting to him about some. So by the time we worked together at Lotus and, and he'd done this rally thing, you know, occasionally you'd, you'd talk about stuff and he knew I did bits of rallying. No, he, he absolutely loved that. And he loved, thing is he was quick in all of them. It was front wheel drive, uh, four-wheel drive, all sorts. I can't remember exactly which cars. I'm sure one of them might have been um, Sierra Cosworth, possibly. Yeah. But, um, he, no, he loved it. Uh, and he, he liked the way, you know, you, you, could, you could slide it around. He liked the fact that you could, um, to a degree, start to be able to predict what they're doing. And apparently the feedback that he gave each of the owners to their cars and the suggestions he made to improve them <laughs> were amazing. <laughs> so it didn't really matter if it was a cart or a rally car, you know, that, that boy knew what he was doing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Tony, I'll bet you that you had one or two thoughts about putting an entry in for this rally next week. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, the, the, there's no question. I mean, that uh, Sikiyama stage, Antijarvi stage, you know, uh, Risti Lampi, Sariyavi, there's Mustalampi. The, these are names, you know, from, from the Arctic Lapland rally. Yeah. And, you know, Juho Hananen won, didn't he, earlier this year in, in the first one. Uh, and I'm just, oh, I was going to leave you one thing to just kind of say, well, look, Robin Perez has got to be good. Solberg's got to be good. And I think, you know, even Tuohino, you, you've got to think he's got to be in top six, mm. hasn't he? Because, um, but can you answer me a question? Emil Lindholm, is mm. his relation? Yes. Yeah, he's, uh, he's the son, isn't he? Of, of he uh, is Sebastian. He's won, he's won the Arctic Rally. So yeah. the, 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 the homespun talent, I, th I think, you know, you've got to watch it. And I, I, I was gobsmacked by the fact that uh, Extron was doing it as well, because yeah. um, I think that's fantastic. Star-studded field. You're going you're gonna to have a ball. We are. And, and Lindholm, you're quite right. Sorry, I missed your question there, Tony. I think you were asking about his opportunities uh, you know, for, for a bit of a giant killing. Uh, yeah. show this weekend. I think it's very possible. There are two or three particularly young Finnish drivers in the second class. Well, you know, WRC2, WRC3. They are five or rally two cars. <laughs> Whichever you want to call them, it confuses me. Yes. Um, but in yeah. those class of cars, I think there are opportunities for the likes of Lindholm. I have to say, Lindholm came on in leaps and bounds last year. Uh, he was driving mm -hmm. the majority of the time on MRF tyres. We know they were in a development year. 
but he showed remarkable pace. And he matched and outpaced Craig Breen on a number of occasions last year. So yeah. I think Lindholm has, has a good opportunity to show what he can do next week. But as have a lot of the young Finnish drivers. And I think there'll be a little bit of luck involved. There'll be an awful lot of nous involved because, you know, it is a remarkably quick rally. But you're going to have to show, and you'll know this, you're going to have to show a degree of intelligence, a degree of patience to get to the end of the rally without making mistakes. If you can do that, if you can show the speed, you're going to be right there or thereabouts. And that's in the top class and the support classes. And uh, you know, for me, it's just the fact that it is so unpredictable. It is so unpredictable next week. You know, yeah. who's going to win it, Tony? Who is going to win it? Is it going to be Sebastian Auger? Maybe you'd say unlikely. Is it going to be a debut win for Rovin Perra? Possibly. Could Craig Breen yeah. take his first win? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, could young Solberg even do something quite spectacular? Unlikely, but possible. And that's what I love. It's all these things are possible because it's such a new event and such an unpredictable event. You know what? When I first went there, because you, you don't, I'm an average driver. I'm, I'm good at getting them home, but I'm not quick. And when you first go there, it's absolutely daunting. Yeah. Daunting, especially going, you do doing some of the stages in whiteout and blizzards and all the rest of the business. But slowly, slowly, they, they, you know, they would help me take me out onto the ice because they knew I wasn't a threat anyway. They helped me, and by the time I got, you know, to the fourth or fifth rally, then I was, I was, I was reasonable getting into midfield. You know, and we ended up with a top thirty result and I think fifth in the class and so on. But one of the guys who I'll be looking out for, and I think he's done a good job, is, is Katsuta, you know, the yeah. Takamoto. And he's done, you know, he's done a heck of a lot of testing, you know, in, in winter conditions. And Dan Barrett, who's been training him all these years, trains my journalist co-drivers. <laughs> and I talk to Dan every now and again, and he, you know, this Takamoto is really improving like hell. And I, I think he's going to finish... In the top, well, I hope he's going to finish in the top 10. Oh, I think he will. I, I think he will. But again, he's one that needs to concentrate. You know, he's, he's had, you know, particularly the end of last season, he had uh, some really, really good performances, uh, particularly in Estonia. But then the concentration slipped for one second and he had a succession of big crashes. But Takamoto-san, don't forget, you know, he took his only win in WRC2 on Rally Sweden a few years ago. So you're absolutely right. You know, he's learned his craft on snow and ice around Uvascula, around Finland. And if, again, he's a driver that if he keeps it on the road, Tony, listen, never mind top 10, I think a top five is possible for Takamoto-san. And, and you'll know this. You'll know how important this will be, not just for Takamoto-san, more importantly for the WRC, because your relevance in Japan is massively important to this. Oh, story. gosh, yes, yes. And, and if we can get a Japanese driver, you know, claiming a good result, and, and the win in WRC2 in Sweden was remarkable, and it, it did lift the sport again in Japan. But if we can get Takamoto-san giving us a top five, six finish, it'll do tremendous good for the sport in Japan. And, and you know, we're always looking for new manufacturers. We're always looking for new sponsors. And, and that's the best way to do it. And I think he's our best hope in that regard. 100%. But um, can I ask you one last question? I can steal another minute from you. Because yes. um, 
were you talking about making amends and staying on the road or whatever? What about Timo Sunninen? I mean, surely he's got to be keeping calm and making sure he gets a good finish rather than flying off the road, hasn't he? Yeah, it's a tricky one because under normal circumstances, you would say Sunninen would be one of the favourites. Now, you know, we've seen the other teams doing quite extensive testing. I believe M-Sport are going to do a test before the event. But sooner than right now, after particularly that first stage off in Monte, uh, you know, and, and a pretty inglorious end to last season, you know, he needs confidence. And, and, and the Arctic Rally, as you know, if you're going to get a good result, you can't build your confidence. You've got to be confident from the start of stage one and you've got to push on. Um, you know, it can go, or it will go, I think, one of two ways for Sunanen. He will either be right there or thereabouts, or sadly, um, he'll flounder. He'll flounder. And, and, I, and I fear, I fear the second, the second option for Sunanen. I would love to see him getting a podium finish. And, and he's very, very, very capable of doing it. He needs to turn up with the right head, with the right mindset, because he has the ability. And that's the frustrating yes. part. That is the frustrating part. But you know, all these things, Tony, this is what makes it so exciting. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, it's going to be brilliant. I can't wait. I can't wait. Well, some fantastic stories there from our three contributors. Listen, folks, we are going to get back together again as the Spin the Rally Pod team. Then I'm very much looking forward to again hearing from George, but from David Evans and obviously from Lisa O'Sullivan as well. So thanks for listening. We'll be back again very, very soon.